Welcome to Life-Giving Water Messages, where I expound upon the Word of God and through the internet deliver it to you. My name is Reverend Todd Laddick, and today I'm bringing you part one of a four-part series entitled I See You, with today's message specifically entitled Hearing Other Voices, based off of Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. So, let us dive into the Word today. Then they reached Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, Tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, Go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. Amen. We can be so busy and focused in our, you know, in our mission that we stop listening. Yet, as Christians, we cannot fully engage in our mission without taking the time to hear the voices on the side of the road. I'm not sure how many of you listening have seen or are fans of A Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, And, uh, you know, that movie came out, I think, in 1993. So it's been been out for a long time, originally by Touchstone, but um, now by Disney. But anyway, now it's uh, owned by Disney. But it's one of my favorite Christmas movies ever. It was written uh, by uh, Tim Burton. And uh, and was a, a musical from one of my favorite composers, Danny Elfman, who also did the voice of Jack Skellington. In fact, I love this movie so much that I have the closing scene of the graveyard of Halloween Town tattooed for the cuff of my tattoo sleeve. Um, Jack, in in that, the reason I got that is Jack, um, represents me, and Sally represents my wife, Bernadette, and, uh, she's always been the moral compass in my, in my life, and, uh, Sally, for anybody who has seen the film, uh, Sally is the moral compass for Jack. Jack Skellington, uh again is is a character that has always fascinated me and i've i've found myself relating to him in some ways uh but here's a here's a brief sum up of the film each season has its own town halloween town is where all the ghouls ghosts goblins and monsters live and their sole job is to prepare tricks and treats for people on halloween one day 
a dejected and down Jack Skellington, who is the most prominent pillar of Halloween Town, realizes he has grown tired of Halloween. He feels he has lost his sense of purpose, wonder, and excitement. And he ventures off into the woods where he finds a door in a tree that goes to Christmas Town. He opens the door and gets sucked in. And before you know it, there he is, snow all around him, the sounds of Christmas in the air. To make a long story short, he is so enamored with Christmas Town and Santa Claus, who he mistakenly calls Sandy Claus. He is from Halloween Town, after all. Uh, that he decides that his purpose is to kidnap Sandy Claus and take his spot as old Saint Nick. And as you can imagine, all sorts of disastrous things take place. While most of Halloween Town loved the idea, they are monsters after all, there was one person who was not sure it was a good idea, that disaster was sure to be in the air. And that person was Sally, who had a crush on Jack and who loved him. So there's a scene that I show in church um, where... Sally uh, approaches Jack and says, you know, I don't I don't really think you should do this. I'm not sure this is a good idea. And Jack is just too busy with excitement, getting ready to prepare for himself. And he he wants Sally to make him, you know, to sew him the suit. So he looks like Sandy Claus. And uh, and he's like, oh, you can do it. And she's like, uh, I'm not sure this is the right thing to do. And he's like, what are you talking about? Of course it's the right thing to do. You're a great uh, uh, seamstress. You could do this in no time. You're the perfect person for it. And so... Sally's trying to warn him about actually taking over, kidnapping Sandy Claus and taking over Christmas Town. She's trying to warn him that that's a bad idea, but because Jack isn't listening, he's only partially listening to her. Because he's not really listening to her, he thinks that she's trying to say that she's not the right person for the job. And and so that leads into Sally going out and singing um, one of her one of her uh, one of the most famous songs in the entire uh, movie which is of course Sally's song where she laments that she's probably never going to be able to be with Jack um, and how she thinks that this this whole thing is going to lead to ruin and they'll never they'll never be together and uh, and it, it's a very sad song but but it it comes out of not being listened to not being listened to We as a church can be so focused on our plans, just like Jack Skellington. We can be so focused on our plans that we ignore the people on the wayside, especially those who are different from us in some way or many ways. This can be true even when we have the best intentions of serving others. And you know the phrase, the best intentions, the road to hell are paid is paved by the best intentions. Oftentimes we have good intentions, but we're really paving the road to hell with them. Let's look at a common example. A lot of churches give out scholarships to kids who are members. And that is done to support them in their education. What a beautiful thing to do. Our church has done that in the past. Uh, 
you know, and when we have when we have kids graduating, we we've done that. What a blessing. With that said, we have sometimes let policies set to fulfill our mission get in the way of listening to people's needs. Now, our policy has been that kids who are active members of the congregation are eligible to apply for the scholarship. The intent, I am sure, was to encourage the active participation of our youth. And that is overall a good intention, right? I mean, we want kids to be a part of the life of the church, and this is, a, this is an incentive to be a part of the life of the church. Not a bad thing overall. No one would argue that it is. But what does it mean to be active? If they are regularly attending worship, is that being active? What if they've found their home in youth group, but find connecting in worship difficult? Do they count? What if they want to come, but their parents won't take them? In a previous church that I was a youth pastor at, uh, there were youth who wanted to come to church, and eventually they found their way to church, but when they were younger, their parents wouldn't take them. Didn't want to have anything to do with the church for various reasons. And would, would that person be excluded? Would they be considered active because of their desire, or would they be excluded because of their lack of physical presence? Or what if health reasons, physical, psychological, or otherwise, hinder someone from coming? This actually happened in our church, and someone someone was excluded from the scholarship. This happened before my time here at the church, but when I found that out, I brought it to the attention of our leadership who, because leadership changes, our, our leadership didn't know that that happened either, had no clue that that had happened. And we determined that that was wrong, that should have never happened. And we righted the wrong and sent that student a belated scholarship, much to their shock and delight. Again, don't get me wrong, there was no bad intention there. It was simply putting our mission in place, just like Jack Skellington, it was putting our mission in place of the needs of others without stopping to listen to the person and discerning their need. We focused on our mission. Again, not intentional. It, you know, good intentions were in place, you know, but if we don't bend, we break or we break others. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. That was his mission. He was heading to Jerusalem for Passover and to give his life up as a sacrifice for our sins. That was his mission. That was what Jesus was focused on. Bartimaeus, an outsider of society, knew who Jesus was and shouted, Son of David, have mercy on me. 
correctly naming who Jesus was demonstrated that he had a voice and knew how to use it in the world, despite the fact that he was blind and poor. The funny thing is, is the other people around him, the other people around him didn't call him the son of David, didn't recognize his true identity, didn't see him in faith. And yet here's this blind man who can't see, and yet he sees Jesus more clearly than the others. While not everyone has a voice, some people are nonverbal, we all have value and inherent worth, regardless of our differences, regardless of what others may or may not think of us. Marginalized people are often able to recognize the presence and work of God and connect it in ways that advantaged people do not. They connect with it in ways that advantaged people do not. Just as Bartimaeus identified Jesus as the son of David and called him into this sacred moment of healing. Even though Jesus was on his way to face his biggest challenge, he stopped to listen to Bartimaeus. The people following Jesus tried to quiet Bartimaeus because they were focused on the task at hand. They wanted to hear from Jesus, and this guy was stopping them. Again, good intentions. They want to listen to Jesus. That's not a bad thing, right? Like, we should listen to Jesus. But not at the expense of the marginalized, not at the expense of somebody who's in need. The people following Jesus tried to quiet Bartimaeus, because they were focused on Jesus. But Jesus stopped to listen. Jesus did not just use his ears, but he listened with his heart and spirit. He was open to who Bartimaeus was and what he may need. He did not presume to know what Bartimaeus needed. And we often do that, right? He didn't presume to know what Bartimaeus needed, just like we ought not to presume to know what someone who is different from us may need. I see this in our racial divide, right? Plenty of white people opining on what black people need to make black lives better, to make to make black lives and black families uh, live in a better world. Some people say, well, they need to have, you know, nuclear families where the father doesn't run away. Or, oh, they need to, blow, you know, you put, put your... your uh, white person's explanation of what black people need in there. Fill in the blank, right? That's not listening. That's not listening. That's telling black people what they need when we aren't, we aren't black. White we, as in white people, aren't black people. I'm not black. I didn't grow up in a black neighborhood in a black family with in black, you know. I didn't I didn't experience the black life to know what they truly need and I'm going to tell them what they need. How about we listen to what they need? How about we follow Jesus and listen to what people's experiences are so that we can understand where they're coming from and we can be a part of the solution rather than a part of the problem. Uh, Jesus Jesus didn't presume to know what Bartim- Bartimaeus needed. Jesus made room for Bartimaeus by asking, 
what do you want me to do for you? Jesus demonstrated that we first, we must first make room in ourselves, in our hearts, in our churches, and in our communities before we can receive others. When we tell people what they need, we're not receiving them. We're rejecting them. I want you to think about that. When we tell people what they need, we're not receiving those people. We're rejecting those people. We should not assume we know what a person needs based solely on our own worldview or cultural perspective, which is why the oppressed, the underprivileged, and minority groups need to be listened to by all of us. Their lives, their experiences, their struggles, their concerns matter. Jesus understood this. Bartimaeus threw off his cloak, which was of great importance to him. He was willing to give up what was meaningful to him to, in order to go to Jesus, to respond to Jesus' calling him. What things of value, traditions, worship styles, whatever, what things of value may we need to give up to respond to Jesus' call on our lives in this moment? Are there things we can cling to because they are there things that we cling to because they make us comfortable? But that might be impeding our call to faith? In today's society, with information coming at us from all directions, it is important to stop and listen. Have you ever just stopped what you were doing to listen? It is important that you hear and respect the voices of all those with whom you come into contact. Keeping your heart open to where God is already present and how God is already moving. What voices, what voices are we as a church not hearing or are are resistant to hear? How would our church be different if we listened to those voices? How can we as a church be more intentional about hearing the voices on the road? How would our church communities and ministries change if we incorporated these voices? In light of our encounter with Jesus, how is God calling us to make space for others as a church, as a community, and as people in the world? This week, think of one or two ways to become more aware of the voices on the side of the road and how we can create space for them. I would love for you to share those ideas with me. I would love for you to share those ideas. And if you want to, you can email the church at uh, Newton, N-E-W-T-O-N-U-M-C-07 
at gmail.com. If you mail, um, if you mail uh, your ideas to that to that address, uh, the office administrator will send it to me and send it to the leaders of the church for our consideration. Amen. Amen. I hope to hear from you. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, thank you for all that you have taught us in this message today. Thank you for your example with uh, Bartimaeus, showing us that somebody like him is as valuable as anybody else and should be tended to just like we would tend to our own. You stopped and listened to Bartimaeus. You took the time to hear what he needed. And then, because of his faith, his needs were filled. Lord, thank you for showing us Bartimaeus' story. Thank you for showing us Bartimaeus and revealing to us that we too need to follow you and listen to others so that we may help build this world from what it is into the kingdom of God. In all these things, Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, thank you for tuning in and listening to this as always. So glad that you're here. Um, uh, if this is your, uh, by all means, please check the episode notes uh, down below. But if, if this is your main uh, spiritual feeding for the week and you feel so inclined, uh, there are links below uh, to uh, direct you as to where you can give. Uh, we would appreciate any and all giving. Um, it helps our church continue to uh, survive, not only survive, but thrive through this, uh, this pandemic. Uh, and we are uh, going to be, at the beginning of June, going back to in-person services, um, but we also will be streaming online like we have been, and you know, the, the, these uh, messages will continue on as they have even before the pandemic. So anyway, in all things, uh, if you are able to give, great. If this is just supplemental and you attend another church, by all means, give to that church. They need it as much as we, as we do. Maybe some churches even need it more. So uh, with all of that said, Thank you for your support. Thank you for listening. And remember, you are richly blessed. So be a blessing to others. Go in peace.